Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 234. Today I want to take a closer look at something I mentioned last week, and that's the phenomenon of what are known as doublets in the Bible. But first I think I'll quickly go through some more listener feedback. So here's a couple more iTunes reviews. And the first one is by Jerbig Sexy. Sure, big sexy. Okay. It's dated April 17th and it's entitled Skepticism and they gave me five stars. All right. Thank you. So here's what they had to say. Great show, healthy skepticism and really enlightening. Good listen, whether I'm deployed overseas or at duty station. All right, man. Thank you for the kind words. And also, and hopefully it doesn't come off as corny or trite, but thank you for your service. A few years back, there was another enlisted person who was a listener and who reached out to me. We talked back and forth a couple of times, and I haven't heard from him in a while. I hope all is well. My take on military service is, even if as a civilian you don't approve of or support a certain war or military endeavor, it's still good to support the troops. I think it takes a certain kind of courage or character to be willing to go overseas and fight in someone else's stead while the rest of us are back home going about our civilian lives in relative safety. Uh, but all right, the, the next one's from a personal friend, and this might be a weakened out first. I don't think I've had a friend review the show before. I can remember when I first launched the podcast several years back. Well, I think it was uh, actually back in 2012. I started to notice all these positive reviews rolling in. And so I asked my friends and bandmates, um, hey, did you guys review my show on iTunes? And they were like, no, what are you talking about? So one of those bittersweet kind of things. On the one hand, hey, you guys are my friends. You can't even take a minute to support what I'm doing and write a review. On the other hand, I remember feeling somewhat elated that all of those positive reviews were coming from strangers who must have sincerely appreciated my content rather than from friends, etc., just trying to make me feel good. Now, I do have a few friends, to their credit, who are also listeners, and I appreciate it very much. But generally, uh, I don't think my friends and family tend to listen to the show, which, you know, I try not to get too upset about it, but it does bother me a little. I, I somehow find it a little insulting, and I also find it perplexing. I think if... I had a friend, family member, or acquaintance who said, you know, they had launched their own podcast or their own show or something. I would just be curious what it was all about. And I think I would kind of get a kick out of just, you know, hearing the voice of someone that I know um, hosting a show or whatever. And uh, so I think I, I would just be curious. And also, I I'd like to believe that I'm a good enough friend or whatever that I would want to listen to support them as well. And I don't really chase after my friends to listen to the show, but I think a couple of times I may have had friends say, oh, you know, if I have the time or whatever. And I'm thinking, really? You can't listen to it in the car, on the way to work, in the background while you're cleaning your house or whatever, <laughs> like, or while you're on an exercise bike, you can't find the time. And I'm not saying that they have to listen to it religiously, no pun intended, but maybe here and there and, you know, let me know what they thought. 
But anyway, uh, enough complaining about uh, friends who don't listen. Let's get back to the review of a friend who actually does listen and has some uh, nice things to say. So my friend Amanda gave me four stars, uh, four, not five, trying to leave me uh, with some room for improvement, I take it. Uh, just kidding. Four stars ain't bad. I know you hold me to a high standard. Uh, they entitled their review, Good Show, and here's what they said. Phil puts on a good show. He is entertaining, thoughtful, a bit irreverent, and sometimes self-deprecating in the interest of humor. I may be biased since I've known him personally for close to 20 years, but I enjoy hearing him put himself into work that he loves. His passion and curiosity shine through in his podcast. Well done, Phil. Smiley face emoticon. Well, thank you, my friend, for the well-worded and insightful feedback. It means a lot. Uh, Amanda also goes by the name Faye, P-H-A-E. And they have a couple of different musical projects, Draco Way and American Black Mage. You can find a lot of their stuff on YouTube. Uh, but how do I explain this? They also have something called a themica, or is it e-themica? Uh, I'm not sure. Hopefully I'm not butchering that. It starts with an A-E, but I think the etymological root, according to them, uh, comes from Greek, and there's something about Sanskrit, too. Uh, I think in Latin, A-E is pronounced with a long I, usually, as in the word chylum, which I think means heavens or something like that. But athemica sounds good to me. Uh, but yeah, they've been working on it for years. It's like a complex role-playing game infused with their own personal philosophy or at least some sort of philosophical system. And it's also used as a way to network, etc. I'm still trying to fully wrap my head around it. But if you find the idea intriguing, you can find their blog at the Atham Universe. So that'd be T-H-E-A-E-T-H-E-M-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E dot WordPress dot com. All right. So I also received some feedback via YouTube regarding last week's episode, which was entitled Listener Feedback and American Atheists. And so uh, my friend Dirk Stabbins, and now Dirk uh, Stabbins is actually the YouTube alias of another person I mention a lot on the show. Uh, I don't want to out them. Um, I, I don't think they necessarily care, but I'm erring on the side of caution. And they say, I don't like to use the term atheist anymore because I tend to think of an atheist as an asshole who doesn't believe in God. And interestingly, and interestingly enough, the atheists who get all pissy because people don't call themselves atheists tend to all be assholes. For instance, Penn Jillette is a narcissistic asshole, and God Know is a shitty book about a narcissistic atheist asshole. Another thing I dislike about the term atheist is the way it always needs to be explained when using it. I've noticed that very often when you use the word, you feel you have to add that you're an agnostic atheist in an attempt to explain how you're using the word. And I think that a term that always needs explaining is a problematic term. So not, why not find a better one? As you can see, Dirk doesn't pull any punches. Um... Where I, I disagree, I, I actually like Pendulette, but I can see why some people might find him uh, abrasive. Or, and I have an admission to uh, make. I actually never read God No, but I feel almost like I have because I've watched so many videos of um, Pendulette talking about the book. 
and talking about how it discusses that atheist-agnostic overlap, T.H. Huxley coining the term agnostic, etc. I believe Penn Jillette's from Massachusetts, like myself, and uh, we have a, a special portmanteau here uh, that we use to describe someone who is both an asshole and from Massachusetts, and that's masshole. And I'm sure other people from other places who have visited have probably used it as well. But I'm not saying that Penn Jillette is necessarily an asshole nor a masshole. <clears throat> Excuse the profanity, I'm swearing more than usual. It's Dirk, he has a bad influence on me. Once again, I like Penn Jillette, so direct all your hate mail to Dirk Stabbins. And uh, Dirk continues, and, and here's where his more thoughtful side emerges. And uh, I have to say, um, like I said, I know Dirk on different social media platforms where he goes by different handles or aliases, and I consider him a friend. And, and one of the things I love about him is that he does have this irreverent sense of humor, doesn't pull any punches, and he's not afraid to call atheists or theists out on uh, what he sees as their BS. But he's kind of a touching personal story. He had a very religious upbringing, kind of a strict religious upbringing. And he eventually came to the conclusion that, um, well, you could say, uh, although he might find the label problematic, uh, as he pointed out at the beginning of his comments, um, for lack of a better word, he too is an atheist. Maybe technically an agnostic atheist like myself. I'm not sure. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Um, and he can go at theists pretty damn hard sometimes, probably even harder than, than I would. But at the same time, he, he still has a love for the study of religion, the study of the Bible. Uh, he's a big fan of biblical scholar Robert M. Price. But So this is what else uh, Dirk had to say. Now on to some Bible geekery. The story that most scholars think the biblical flood is based on is the Atrahasis, or Atrahasis, uh, one word, and not so much the Epic of Gilgamesh. I see it spelled both ways in not knowing Akkadian or Old Babylonian or reading cuneiform. I don't know which is correct. Is it cuneiform or cuneiform? I've heard both. Um tongue-out emoticon. Not all the tablets we have with the Epic of Gilgamesh contain a flood narrative, though even some that don't do have Gilgamesh journeying to meet Utnapishtim, which is a flood survivor and I suppose a possible archetype for Noah. However, the Gilgamesh tablets that do have flood stories are believed to be adapted from the Epic of Atrahasis anyway. And here's where he addresses my mention of doublets in the last episode, specifically the doublets pertaining to the flood narrative. As far as the discrepancies in the number of animals in the first and second biblical flood accounts, Genesis 6.19, And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And Genesis 7.2, You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male and his female. And he continues, I tend to side with Bob Price. No, no surprise there, I know. But I held this opinion even before he validated it. That the second account, which says seven pair of each clean animal, is just a more detailed telling of God's commands and not really a problem. 
There are other discrepancies between the accounts that I don't think are reconcilable, though, like how long it rained, Genesis 7.12. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and Genesis 7.24. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. I think I've heard creationists try and say one was based on a lunar calendar and the other a solar one, but that strikes me as nothing more than a desperate attempt to polish a turd. And drinking 151 for two hours, you must have been mixing it because when I've done shots of 151, I've never lasted more than 20 minutes before passing out. LMFAO. And I'll leave LMFAO at the abbreviation because I think I've already gone over my profanity quota for the, uh, for the episode. And once again, I'm drinking 151 as I'm recording this. And yes, it is mixed with uh, Coca-Cola. Okay, and here... Uh... My friend, the Electric Owl. Uh, love the Electric Owl. We share a lot of the same tastes in music and that sort of thing and uh, literature. And he comments a lot uh, on my videos, and I'm very appreciative. Uh, here's what he... Actually, I think this is in response to uh, Dirk's comment. For all its problems, the label of atheist is still light years better than the cringe-inducing bright that Dawkins and Dennett tried to popularize some years back, and I'm in uh, full agreement with that. Just what the hell were they thinking anyway? I wonder how many pretentious assholes actually took on the label. I'm going to give that a thumbs up. I haven't seen this before. And then uh, Dirk responds, That is so very true. I believe the only time I ever heard anyone other than Dawkins or Dennett use the term was a guest on an old podcast called A Christian and an Atheist, and it was very cringy. Oh, and Tempagain says, Thanks for the shout-out. Love the show. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Um, Dirk Stabbins again. He says, How'd you know when I'm drunk? And I replied, We're connected through the magic of alcohol. And he responds, I'm not usually drunk on a Monday night, but for some reason I had booze left from the weekend and didn't want it to go bad. Uh, oh, man. Oh, and here's Liz Marie. I didn't even see that she commented. Must have been recently, two days ago. And she has a little arrow pointed towards her, and it says, Puerto Rican, LOL. Puerto Rico producing 85% of the world's rum and helping people get drunk one terrible memory at a time. And then she says, port wine dinner and listening to this podcast. Smiley face emoticon. But like the smile with the D, like the really big smile. Thanks, Liz Marie. I appreciate it. Liz Marie's been uh, commenting on the videos a lot too recently. I, I love the feedback and the interaction. And here's um, another comment. For, well, this is a really in-depth one from uh, the Electric Owl the only reason I don't use the descriptor of atheist is that it, in my opinion, gives too much deference to theism as a proposition. And I just don't think the God question deserves that kind of priority of place. The most obvious question for those inclined to ask such questions is not whether or not a theistic God exists, but whether or not our individual lives have purpose that transcend our ostensibly creaturely existence. I'm agnostic about the answer here, though I suspect it's a hard no. There is nothing at all fundamental about theism. 
All one needs to do is look to Taoism or Buddhism or various animisms to find non-theistic metaphysical systems. So in my case, it's not that I hold any reticence in using the label of atheist. I am one in a very narrow sense, but rather that's an altogether limited and ultimately inadequate description, and that as stated above, it ends up giving too much deference to the red herring that is the God question. I'm more apt, anyhow, to describe myself as a pantheist, but that's a whole other can of worms, isn't it? And uh, pantheism is kind of this romantic notion of nature as God, in a sense. And he says, as for deism, it's an interesting, even if potentially unfalsifiable proposition, but is in practice indistinguishable from a kind of de facto atheism. And I couldn't agree more with those iTunes reviews. The work you put into these really shows. And I respond to the electric owl. I, I just love saying electric owl. Thanks for the thoughtful and well-worded feedback. I may do another listener feedback episode this week just so I can read Yar and Dirk's comments. Maybe it's all my delving into Eastern religion, but I often feel that in spirit, I'm like some kind of pantheist slash Buddhist hybrid. I have this vague sense of an all-pervading oneness, but as a skeptic, I tend to simply chalk it up to my having a romantic or poetic outlook or perhaps being in part due to some sort of neurological or psychological phenomenon, Freud's oceanic feeling, etc. Maybe just some coping mechanism built into our brain chemistry. And the, the electric owl responded again, that vague sense I know all too well, of course it's always been nebulous and fleeting enough of a feeling within me to be practically without meaning, and perhaps it is meaningless. My pantheism, or what have you, confers even less in the way of utility. The sense that there is an ultimate unity and point to the churning, seething chaos of the universe on occasion arrests me. But what of it? It is just a feeling after all, and feelings or intuitions can be very wrong indeed. Still for me, there is an undeniable salience to these experiences of connectedness. They seem to stand luminously apart from the relatively formless mundanity that comprises most of our lives. But again, what of it? Epistemically, there's not much I can really say about said experiences. I can only relate their value. It's not lost on me either that our deepest spiritual yearnings, whatever their source or nature, may be forever unrequited. Here I tend more or less to agree with the existentialists, as well as contemporary pessimists like Thomas Ligotti. We are obviously enough, not the universe's darlings, and likely in the end, all that's there to greet us will be nothing less than the black yawning void. Anyhow, that got dark. I should probably go make myself some coffee, smiley face emoticon. Wow, that was extremely eloquent and uh, well-worded. I'm not surprised. Uh, the, the electric owl usually is. Um, but yeah, beautifully put, man. I feel like you're uh, pulling the slack for me. You're, you're doing a better job than me. But luckily, I get to incorporate it in my podcast. And I almost forgot to read my own response to Dirk, um, to his initial comment. And I said, ha ha, yeah, mixing it with Coke, the drink, not the powder. I am a classy podcast host. I think we discussed the Atrahasis before. I almost mentioned it in the episode. I went back and reread the Epic of Gilgamesh a year or so ago, and yeah, the Utnapishtim story is just a very small portion of it. You're right about the term atheist being problematic. You hit a nail on the head regarding your insight how I always feel the need to mention the agnostic component. Thanks for the verses. I plan on dedicating the next episode to doublets, and you save me having to comb through old notes, looking for the exact chapter and verse, smiley face emoticon. Drink every time I say smiley face emoticon, unless you're driving. Or underage. I don't want to hear from the cops or your parents. 
I think you're right, the number discrepancy can be harmonized, but the fact that there are multiple versions of the same account helps shine a light on the man-made nature of the text in general. Yeah, and that's kind of my point with doublets. I'm not trying to suggest that their existence in biblical text means that there is no God. Because uh, certainly there are Christians who believe that the Bible isn't meant to be taken literally, at least not in, in its entirety. It's more the point that, like I said, I'm just trying to shine a light on the man-made nature of the text. And that the texts aren't divinely inspired, or they're not the inerrant word of God. That they actually do contain these contradictions, or multiple accounts of the same events, etc., as you would expect would be the case with a man-made anthology. But wow, it's been like 20 minutes just uh, covering listener feedback, so I might as well actually get down to it and uh, read some doublets. And my starting point here is BibleBrisket.com. Why not? And uh, they they also mentioned the documentary hypothesis, which is something else that I've been fascinated with for a long time. And it's this idea or theory that you can kind of narrow down who wrote which book of the Bible uh, of the Old Testament based on what name they use for God. And they break the authorship down into four categories. You have J for the Yahweh source. Uh, you have E for the Elohist source, Elohist uh, being derivative of Elohim. D, uh, the Deuteronomist source. And P, the priestly source. So the first account of creation that begins with Genesis 1-1 is thought to come from the priestly source, and it goes, and this is from the New International Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. Uh-oh, kinds. <laughs> Shades of Ken Ham. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Shit, we're only on the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky and to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night, and he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. And then there was evening, and then there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. See, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Okay, so finally, <laughs> then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. <clears throat> and uh, apologists say that is, you know, probably meant to be taken like the royal we. You know, God is referring to himself. Others say that um, this seems to be implying that there's more than one divine entity involved. And according to BibleBrisket.com, this is from the priestly source. But often in the Bible, the word Elohim is used for God. And El is an old Canaanite term for, God, for a God. And Elohim seems to suggest multiple gods, just like uh, a seraph is a kind of angel and seraphim is plural, or how cherub is singular and cherubim is uh, plural. Yeah, supposedly Elohim is Hebrew. Uh, it's a grammatically plural noun for gods or deity. In modern Hebrew, it is often referred to in the singular, despite the I-M ending that denotes plural masculine nouns in Hebrew. Wouldn't that throw a kind of monkey wrench in the monotheistic model if <laughs> there was more than one deity involved? Um, anyway, so God created mankind. Anyway, so God created mankind. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. <laughs> Damn. Rule, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Uh, it almost sounds like Trump. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then here's Genesis 2, which is thought to come from the Yahweh source. Okay, and so it's referring to Adam and Eve. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then Genesis 2.10, uh, it discusses the various rivers. Then in Genesis 2.19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. Then it continues, 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And then, of course, if we go back to Genesis 1, the first creation account, verse 20 God says, let the water teem with living creatures, let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems. Then Genesis one twenty four. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, etc., etc. It isn't until Genesis one twenty six that we have God making mankind. In our image, whether or not that's the royal we, I'll let you decide. So in the first creation account, God makes animals before man. In the second, he makes man before animals. And it also seems to be suggesting that he made Adam and Eve, man and woman, at the same time. Whereas in the second account, Adam falls into a deep slumber and he removes Adam's rib. It's almost like he anesthetizes him. <laughs> well, is it, that's thoughtful. At least he didn't just tear like the rib from the, the fully conscious Adam. <laughs> that that would be horrific. And I guess if I was going to play devil's advocate or be charitable, you could say uh, that, as Dirk said regarding the discrepancy in the number of animals in the flood doublets, that okay, maybe creation two is just a more detailed version. Maybe whoever wrote the first account of creation knew about the whole rib and everything, but didn't think you had to put it in there. <laughs> yeah. And of course that's all speculation. Um, and then of course, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking evolution, man, <laughs> never mind the doublets. Where are all the hominids that led up to uh, homo sapiens? And I probably read more than I needed to of the first creation account. And I apologize it almost brought back memories of me as a child in church nodding off. <laughs> it's like, you know, I often talk about how certain parts of the Bible can possess a certain kind of literary beauty or whatever. But to me, reading Genesis is almost as boring as watching paint dry. Uh, man. And I'm not saying that to piss anyone off. I'm just being honest. But in fairness, at least creation isn't as boring as the genealogies. I don't think anything is. Now, I think uh, Dirk kindly covered the um, flood doublets for us. And the doublets don't stop here. Here's a list of other doublets. Uh, the genealogy from Shem, Abraham's migration, Abraham and Lot separated, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, Hagar and Ishmael, prophecy of Isaac's birth, naming of Beersheba, Jacob and Esau, and their departure to the east, uh, Jacob's 12, it just goes on and on. Yahweh commissions Moses, Moses, Pharaoh, and the plagues. Yeah, according to Bible brisket, <laughs> there's at least 31 instances of, of doublets in the Old Testament. But anyway, it's after one in the morning, and I've been drinking Bacardi 151 while recording this. And I've been sick recently. Um, I think I may have caught some kind of bug from the homeowners or one of the homeowners where we've been working. We've been doing this uh, remodeling job, my brother and I, and it was pretty bad. 
I think I got like this. I don't know if it was a sinus infection or what, but I couldn't breathe through my nose, aches and chills all over. I was going to say bedridden, but I dragged myself out of bed and forced myself to go to work yesterday so I wouldn't miss a second day's pay. Um, but why am I going into all this? I don't know. I'm probably drunk. <laughs> but I think I'm going to go to bed now. I'm going to call it quits. And I'm sure you won't hold it against me that I didn't bore you to death by reading all of those doublets in their grueling entirety. So thanks, guys, for listening. You guys know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. You can review the show through iTunes or subscribe through iTunes. You can go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and look for The Weekend Doubt and check out all the episodes going all the way back to the inaugural episode. Uh, if you'd like to help the show out monetarily, you can do so by using the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's that famous alliteration. Um, don't know how famous it actually is, but... Or you can go to patreon.com slash the weekend out and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right. Thanks, everyone. Until next week.